with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash too many captains productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. Tonight on the Director's Cut, it's movie recommendation time as hosts Bo and Robert give five recommendations of their favorite movies from their collection. So stay tuned. The show starts right now. Welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And we are podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke it if you've got it. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than some of the other Director's Cut episodes. Isn't that right, Robert? Yeah, definitely. We're going to just spend most of the episode talking about five movies from our collection that we really feel people should check out some of them might be a little more well known than others but these are movies that we really really love to watch that we're happy to have in our collection and we just want to share some of the movies that we have picked up over the years with our listeners. Robert, what are your feelings on the movies that you picked here? I mean, what do you think about them? These are some of my personal favorites, I guess. That's why I personally chose these. So, let's yeah. get to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get let's get, let's get to it. Let's get to right? It. I mean, why beat around the bush? Mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and start with you, Robert. I mean, this isn't in any particular order or anything. Like you, you can pretty much start from the bottom of your list or the top of your list. Uh, what's your first movie recommendation? I'm going to start at the bottom with number five, Prom Night. Prom Night. That's with Jamie Lee Curtis, right? Jamie Lee Curtis and Leslie Nielsen, right? Yeah. Leslie Nielsen. And also, uh, wasn't William Cat in this? Or am I thinking of another movie? Um, we just got done watching House. Was, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, that, yeah, 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 yeah. that's right. That's House. <laughs> House is what I'm talking about. But... Yeah, Prom Night. I mean, I remember when I first watched this over at your house. I think you either had it on DVR or you have it on DVD. Like, well, I got it on DVD. You have it on DVD, right on. Mm. I remember the quality of the DVD not being that particularly great. No, basically uh, VHS transfer almost lookalike, right? With- Practically, just maybe a little bit better than a VHS release. Nothing what the Blu-ray version looks like right now. So, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, the movie review we watched, I, I think it was uh, Brandon's Cult Reviews, which I highly recommend everybody checks out, by the way, on YouTube. Check him out. Check him out. Man, the fucking transfer on that, on the Blu-ray, holy shit, look, that's damn beautiful. Good. It looked brand new, right? It, it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. 
We need to get that, though. Yeah. I mean, you can actually see some of the quality in the camera work and everything in this version. I mean, the DVD version, it's really, really dark, kind of obscured, kind of grainy even. It's like, I mean, I don't even know why they even put that out like that, to I mean, be honest. Yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's like right at 1980, 1981, right? It's a lot of fun, and there's great set design at play there. I mean, I really like the setup of the prom itself. Like, it has that one kind of disco walkway. Looking like Carrie, that's what the review said, right? <laughs> yeah, it has a very ethereal carry kind of vibe to it it almost feels like if stephen king just went ahead and made a straight slasher this is what he would probably come up with but at the end of the 70s going towards the 80s but they still had disco right yeah it was kind of that weird transitional period where you know disco was kind of waning in popularity a little bit but i mean it was at least still in the mainstream enough for it to kind of show up in movies like prom night prom night was the 70s right I, it's late 70s sure. early 80s no right prom night i'm thinking carrie sorry no 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 yeah carrie sorry. is uh more mid 70s 70s I, I mean the promo was all travolta he was barely even in there though barely barely just barely yeah that that's another great movie if anyone hasn't seen that of course original brian de palma carrie but anyway robert what does this movie mean to you as far as a collector and a horror movie fan? Oh, it's just one of those easygoing slashers. I mean, one of the ones that started all. I mean, I think it was right at the same time as Friday the 13th, but Friday the 13th was a little better. Everybody saw that one, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it'll, it'll always hold a place for me up there in horror history, horror cinema history, because... The easygoing kills and the children of the corn kids in the beginning. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's a really creepy sequence when they're playing that weird version of hide and seek. Yeah, yeah. It's like, the killer is here. Killers are coming. The killers are coming. Beware. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you kids, like, what, man? What the hell is the way little kids act? Seriously, what the fuck was wrong with fucking 10-year-olds in 1980? That's, I mean, what the fuck? That's a fucked up gang of hide and seek or whatever the fuck they were playing yeah those kids are fucked in the head man killers kill killers kill what the hell what the fuck kind of game was that and then they literally corner that poor little girl out of that window yeah and they didn't tell anybody yeah that's really messed up it's actually a more thoughtful slasher movie than most i mean i know we just did a slasher movie on the main podcast collateral cinema we did intruder there's I like mean, two red herrings in that movie right prominent at least it makes two. you think it's like two other killers which is not yeah which is kind of analogous to intruder even though yeah. intruder was quite a few years after this movie i mean this is it was when slasher movies was waning yeah. This is right when slasher movies was beginning to actually have some popularity. Exactly. I would argue that this is also where slasher movies started to kind of form into that cheesy, silly... B-rated. B-rated yeah. era that happened in the mid-80s. Like, I, I think Prom Night is actually kind of where that begins a little bit. Like, half American, half Canadian actors. And, and, and also, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Yeah. That's also where that, that silliness kind of starts to come in. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was a Freddy's Revenge. Freddy's Revenge. I, mean, I, I know you don't like that one. I, I no, I, like no that I never one. said I don't like don't that like one. I, lo I like that movie. 
Yeah, it's a great I th- movie. I think it's an underrated movie. Freddy's Revenge, yeah. It's 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 deeply underrated. Terribly underrated. Hmm. Well, anyway, I'm going to go ahead and give my first movie recommendation. I'm going to go ahead and then start at the top of my list because this movie is probably the artsiest movie that I'm putting out there right now, maybe except for my number three and number four picks. But this was, a at the time, a Yugoslavian movie. It was originally supposed to follow one uh, character and one story which was you know th- th- this woman who's she she wins this beauty contest but it's actually like a virginity contest and then she marries this eccentric texas billionaire and then he he try he, their first night together is all unpleasant and he has a fucking golden cock and a fucking and then a black guy kidnaps her and takes her into a fucking Smokes. I'm getting ahead of myself here. <laughs> I'm so excited. Th- it, my first rec- movie recommendation is fucking Sweet Movie. This movie came from about the mid '70s, back when, you know, especially in Europe, cinema was really, really out there, and they just didn't give a fuck. It, it's it's the same scene that gave us stuff like uh, Solo or The Tin Drum or. Even even what would give us something like Cannibal Holocaust, kind of, you know, that really transgressive type of cinema. I would I would argue even you know necromantic kind of fits in that realm, though that's not the same quality. But Sweet Movie is also interesting because, like I said, the the first half of the movie is pretty much the storyline of that one girl that wins the virginity contest, and then the other story in this movie is a failed communist revolutionary, and she's piloting a boat that has a giant bust of Karl Marx like crying on the bow. And inside, she has literally a cabin full of sweets and sugar and everything, and she entices these kids to come in and sample her wares in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Robert, you haven't seen this movie, but I showed you the segment on the Horrible Reviews Most Disturbing Movies list. Once again, another YouTube channel, highly recommended. And it, it kind of showed some of the scenes in question. What, what did you think, at least initially seeing that for the first time? I still don't know what the hell is going on with this movie. I need to watch it. You need to watch it, yeah. but be prepared to see some shit, man. Like, like literal fucking shit, piss, vomit. Yeah, dude, huh. it's oh, fuck. it's fucking out there, man. Crazy, and, and and this this one uh, Latino heartthrob singer tries to hook up with the. Miss Virginity girl and his cock gets stuck inside of her and they they have to like take him to a monastery or something. A bunch of nuns has to try to help him get his cock out, out of her. It, like, bro. oh my God, I'm getting so explicit with this shit, man. Like we're gonna have to put a put a little warning in the show notes, but oh my god, I don't even want to spoil any more of it. It's it's such a fucking out there movie. I mean, and, and it's from a director. I'm, I fail to remember what his name is. I, and honestly, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name because it's it's very hard to pronounce. To tell the truth, I'll, I'll I'll be sure to put it in the show notes or whatever. Mm. But 
he was part of a new wave of cinema coming out of like Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, out of the more Slavic countries. It had a. Uh, Movies uh, like Valerie in her Week of Wonders. I have no idea. That's another really out there movie that, you know, while it's not nearly as scatological as Sweet Movie is, it's another strange and transgressive take on budding female sexuality. And it mainly stars like a young girl who, you know, the titular Valerie. She's uh, pretty much like a prepubescent girl and she has her first menstruation and it just kind of all piles on from there i mean that's another movie that the less said of the plot the better you know less said of what happens the better but this movie falls into that particular wave of cinema and man it it says a lot but it has a very rough way of saying it if you catch my drift robert I mean, I've shown you some of the movies in my collection that dude, are like your that. movies are fucked up, dude. I, I, I know. <laughs> Somehow I'm still a functional human being. I don't, I don't what, understand. Yeah, I don't know what I'm watching half the time. Like, well, to be shit. fair, I also have like Iron Man and Showgirls and Pulp Fiction and stuff like that. I mean, Regular movies? I have regular movies in my collection. <laughs> I, I, I can assure you of that. I am a regular guy. I'm a regular guy, but then again, I have like blood-sucking freaks in my collection. Yeah, so crazy-ass movie. Too. Yeah, and, and all the trauma films that I have as well. Trauma. Like, Yarg. <laughs> you, got, you have the first Toxic Avenger? You got one of them, right? Toxic Avenger I have, 3. I have two of them, I think, two. but I, I don't think that I have the original. Oh, it's like going back and watching the original Class of Nukem High, dude. We got to do that again. I have that. I yeah. know you have that as yeah. well. I have part one, part two, and Return of Nukem High. I actually have part three, so... Yeah. Yeah, we, we can actually do a little binge session of all those movies if we wanted to. But still, uh, there's nothing like the original. No, no, you're right. What was that sub-humanoid <laughs> stuff? Is like, I don't know, it was a little weird. Oh, it, it, that gets really out there, yeah. man, like seriously. But yeah, Sweet Movie is a hell of a movie. It's on Criterion Collection. I mean, there's a lot of crazy movies on Criterion Collection. And yeah, at least try to look it up on YouTube. There's not a whole lot of info on it. I mean, there's not a whole lot of reviews on the movie, but... Yeah, look, look it up, find it online, and check it out. Now, Robert, what's your second movie recommendation? Would have to be House. House. And to, to be clear, we're not talking about Hausu, right? The the Japanese, the Japanese one. No, we're no. not talking about that one. We're, we're talking, talking about, about yeah the 1986 the, version House. Yeah, directed by Steve Miner and produced by Sean S. Cunningham. Yeah, the same people that did Friday the Thirteenth, right? Yeah, it. It's the same creative forces, and this time they did more of a horror comedy. What What do you think about the comedic elements of this movie, Robert? I mean, mm. I think that it works. With his aunt's haunted house and how she hung herself, and then he's like a hair to the state, but he doesn't want to sell it, right? He just, he, he ends up losing his boy, and they thought like, like somebody like kidnapped him or something, but it ended up being the house that took him. Yeah, I mean... I love the overall atmosphere that the house itself exudes, you know? I mean, the, the house itself is kind of a character, you know, not unlike in the Amityville horror or yeah. in Psycho. It's a lot of Jim Hansen's fucked up looking puppets. Eh. 
Was that uh, Jim Henson's? Uh, no, no. <laughs> it, it wasn't because that actually would have been really cool. Like a little like critters, like try to take that boy Robert up the chimney. Like that's funny. Yeah, but wasn't there like some really legendary special effects designers? Yeah, working here uh, when that monster came out of the closet, dude. That whole thing was like an animatronic robot. It almost mm. felt a lot like Hellraiser a little bit, right? Mm. Scary at that time. It's one of those fun movies you go to Blockbuster and just rent and have a good time. It's worth renting. Yeah, what if in a way that's kind of what House is supposed to be? It's like a more comedic Hellraiser. <laughs> I mean, can, can you imagine that? It is very comedic. I mean, all the monsters just messing with William Cat's character, Roger Cobb. Yeah, Roger Cobb. That's that's a very interesting allusion to Stephen King. I mean, I, I think that's really what's being referenced here. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, he's a writer. He's trying to get away, write this Vietnam story that he's trying to do, right? Yeah, it's, it's kind of weird because that's exactly the type of plot that you see in a Stephen King movie most of the time. Yeah, like misery or something right so i mean as far as i'm concerned i think that that's totally stephen just a send up of stephen king stephen king and it, it's it's almost like a more comedic stephen king story definitely yeah i mean and, and i love the fucking ghost effects man like like for instance the uh, the monster that takes the form of his wife yeah that is classic just that that high pitched voice it's like i mean to me, whenever you give a ghost or a monster a high-pitched voice, that to me just makes it a lot more terrifying, that I was, think. That was scary. Yeah, because, I mean, typically it makes them sound a lot more insane. What is your son, Roger? <laughs> I know, it's, it sounds a lot more sadistic when you, when you do it in this high voice. You know, something like that. <laughs> I mean, it, it actually sounds both funny and intimidating at the same time. But Robert, I mean, once again, I'm going to kind of ask you the same question as before. Like, I mean, what does the movie House truly mean to you? Hmm. I mean, why, why did you Pick choose it. this for a recommendation? You know, my dad showed this to me like right when I was like five or six years old. I think we rented it from Blockbuster. And yeah, it's a lot better than uh, two, three, and four. I think they brought William Cat back in part four, but... You know, they're not really worth watching that much. Yeah, I think House 2 is kind of worth a watch, if not just a stoner watch. And you know what? House 3 has nothing to do with a fucking house, really. No, that's supposed to be like a slasher movie that they just went ahead and put the put house, house on it. Yeah, it was, it's named something else. It's got two titles, right? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, we need to watch that just to compare all of them. Yeah, but I mean, It'll House... I have that movie in my collection. I think it's essential for every horror fan to have, mainly because it's kind of that connection to the old school video stores back in the day. Because it was a real mm. like r movie rental type of movie. It, it was popular, dude. Yeah, yeah it, even it, in the nineties, it, it, it's a popular rental. So, and now it's on Netflix. Now it's on Netflix, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and I mean if that cover art doesn't hook you immediately i don't know what does i mean that's actually one of my earliest horror movie memories going to a video store was seeing like the covers for like popcorn and dead alive and and this movie mm. or, or even creep show jacko 
Chucky movies. Yeah. Oh, the Chucky movies, like the second Chucky movie? Yeah. like Se- Second Child's Play? Part two and three. I mean, I remember seeing the scissors. Yeah, he was like, the- watch yeah. out, Jack. Chucky's back. Yeah, exactly. On the VHS boxes. And seeing all the pumpkin heads and all the Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. Yeah, but, just- but specifically, seeing the cover art for this movie was really cool. It's because it's literally just a decrepit zombie hand. Opening a door. Opening a door. Or pushing No, it, a it's pushing a doorbell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pushing the doorbell. I mean, that's one of the more iconic box arts in horror, I think. Need to get it back on VHS just to have it display piece. Yeah, that is a perfect display piece, honestly. Mm-hmm. It, it would be. But anyway, I'm going to go ahead and talk about my number two, and that's going to be Baby's Kids. Baby's Kids. We don't die, we multiply. Hell yeah. Honestly, I think this movie is almost worth an episode on Collateral Cinema because, for one, this is another one of those real video rental type of movies, you know, video shop movies, I'd like to call them. It's one of those movies that, you know, not a whole lot of people actually owned it on VHS or DVD. In fact, I mean, in many circles, the DVD is kind of a hot collector's item. Is it? Yeah, how at much, one time... How much did you pay for yours? For mine, I paid about 25 bucks for Ooh, it. Oh, damn. But there was a little period where I was seeing this movie out in the wild for anywhere from 85 to 90 bucks for some reason. Yeah. For some reason, I guess there just wasn't a whole lot of the DVDs, uh, at least from the initial print, out there. And eventually they re-released it, and you can find it for anywhere from 25 to 30 bucks. That's a lot still, yeah. It's a, it's a lot, but, I mean, it's not nearly as rare as it used to be. And Better than spending $100 now. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I've finding it the first time, and then... Seeing the price tag, I'm like, 90 bucks? $90, fuck that. This movie's fun, but is it that fun? Is it $90 worth? Damn. Seriously, $90 worth? Damn. But yeah, I, I bought mine at a much more reasonable price. And the movie itself, like the animation is very colorful. It's not particularly detailed, I would say. 90s hip-hop. It's, it's very 90s and very, Dr. very Dre. cartoonish. Dr. Dre. Yeah, it has the three titular Bebe's kids, uh, LaShonda, Khalil, and Little Pee Wee. Little Pee Wee, of course, being voiced by Tone Loke. Like, there, there, yeah, there was a period in the 90s where Tone Loke was showing up in a lot of different movies. His voice is crazy. crazy yeah, look. yeah, he also did a lot of voice acting as well yeah. in certain cartoons and whatnot. But, like, he, he was the iguana that had the big lipped alligator moment in fern gully i don't know if you remember that right damn how many fern gullies are there three of them it's it's yeah but i'm talking about the very first fern gully yeah it had tone loke as this iguana that does this random song that honestly is a big lipped alligator moment it, it doesn't have any real relation to the plot or anything need to go back and watch that one Oh, definitely. But yeah, Tone Loke is in this movie. He plays the little baby, the youngest baby's kid. Dude, he was the cop in Ace Ventura. Yeah, he was. He was uh, the cop in Ace Ventura that was kind of his buddy a little bit. Yeah. And he was in Surf Ninjas. Surf Ninjas. Yeah, Yeah. we were watching that not too long ago. 
I think I left right in the middle of that one. Yeah, yeah, that that was a little '90s binge that we were going on. We watched Sidekicks, Dude, and then we watched Sidekicks. We had to '90s. Damn it. That movie is a lot goofier than I remember it being for some reason. Sidekicks? Yeah, I, I I don't know why. It's real goofy. Probably after seeing the Nostalgia Critic, then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. An I imaginary mean, it, Chuck Norris. <laughs> That's funny. Or, or just Joe Piscopo himself. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, man? When you see it now and you like dissect it and you see it for what it is, like, yeah, this kid had mental problems. He's seeing Chuck Norris everywhere. <laughs> exactly. He's yeah. he's just disassociating. Jesus yeah. Christ. But anyway, Baby's Kids is the shit. It's pure 90s time capsule shit. Like, especially of hip-hop and African-American culture at the time. I mean, you kind of have Khalil. He's the more, like, kind of gangsta was militant. Wasn't Baby's Kids based off of somebody's stand-up? Yeah, Robin Harris's Robin stand-up. Harris's May he rest yeah. in peace. Yeah. He unfortunately he passed away before this movie was even released. Oh crap! So he he never got to see it. Yeah, which is sad because this movie is very autobiographical, just like his comedy was. I mean, this was actually based on a particular bit he had in his comedy, which you actually see at the beginning of the movie. Mm. You actually see Robin Harris in real life, and he and he goes into his baby's kids bit, and it, it's funny and it's pretty much played straight in the movie. Mm. Yeah, he, he literally shows up to take uh, Jamika out, and she just has three kids randomly, three more kids than she had. And and, and Lionel, Jamika's kid, is actually a pretty cool character, I think. Damn, I remember watching Martin back in the day. Damn. What was it? Martin. Martin, yeah. Yeah, I like Martin. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it's kind of a similar strain of comedy right there, mm. honestly. Or like uh, in or, Living Color. yeah. Do Martin Lawrence played his the next door neighbor yeah. too? Yeah, <laughs> funny. Yeah, yeah. Th th that's pretty much a perfect description of the humor here. It's kind of coming from more like Martin Lawrence's and Robert Harris and and that particular brand of comedy from that particular era. Hilarious, early nineties. Yeah, it, it's it's a lot of fun, and and I finally got to see the Nostalgia Critic episode on it, his review on it, and that was actually pretty cool. And yes, there is a Super Nintendo video game. It's probably an emulator, right? Yeah, I have it on the emulator. You do have it, okay. Yeah. But anyway, let's go ahead and go on to our third movie recommendations. Robert, what's your third movie? Junk Carpenter's Vampires. Ooh, with James Woods? James Woods, Daniel Baldwin, right? Daniel Baldwin, yeah. Oh, Baldwin. Oh, Baldwin. Baldwin. One of the Baldwins. One of the Baldwins. Oh, God, why? It's a Baldwin. Why the fuck must there be Baldwins? Hey, what the hell? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, why did you pick uh, John Carpenter's Vampires? Like I said, it's like one of the movies I watched growing up along with House. And, well, Prom Night I didn't see probably till my early 20s, but Vampires came out like 97 right yeah it, it's kind of a late 90s movie and sort of it was like something new i had ever seen back then with being a fan from dust till dawn it just fit right in there with it you know yeah that actually makes a perfect uh, double feature right yeah dude that's perfect just going back and watch that oh man yeah it <clears throat> is I, from dust till dawn is such a ridiculous movie in its own right but also very serious and you know, Robert Rodriguez, he is an auteur. Yes, like, he, he knows his horror and his action and exploitation movies. 
Like he, he very much uh, compliments Quentin Tarantino's style perfectly. Oh yeah. I mean, it's why they made the Grindhouse movies, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, John Carpenter's Vampires. It's kind of seen as a little bit of an underrated John Carpenter movie, right? I'm not sure if people really do know about it now. I mean, everybody we know now is born in like in 2000 or 99, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. But I mean, this is a, in the later years of Carpenter's career. He he would release maybe one more movie like in the 2000s, I believe. Uh, the Ward, I, I think Ward. it's called. Mm. But after that, he's just pretty much been in an executive producer role yeah, on a bunch of movies. Producing now. Producing and composing. He, he's mm. supposedly composing nowadays. Q&As. Yeah. Doing Q and A's for cons and everything. Yeah, mm. I mean, I I like James Woods as an actor in this movie. He's total shit stain in real life. It looked like he played himself really well in this movie. Practically. So what? What? what a, a coked out douchebag. Damn. <laughs> James Woods, vampire. God hunter. damn it, James Woods. And then the bald one, honey. That that was a cool duel. I mean. Yeah, yeah, it was. I and mean, they get this priest, and that's like three of them now. And, and don't don't they get kind of holed up in a in like a hotel or something? Yeah, because they're celebrating because they just killed like a bunch of vampires in a house, but they didn't kill the master. But yeah, so the master sent a bunch of vampires after them to yeah. assassinate them in retaliation. The freaking yeah, a bunch of daywalkers. They're masters. Yeah, damn. Oh man. The gore in that movie was really awesome, right? Yeah, I think the goal was for one of the vampires to get, like, a black cross and, like, get a priest to say this prayer or something, and then you become a daywalker, right? Holy shit, really? Yeah. So so you don't become you don't become a vampire by getting bitten, or? No, you do. They, they, he just needed to walk during the day. Oh, so figure out the way. So, so it's like a ritual or something. A ritual, that, yeah. Yeah, it allows a vampire to walk during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, pretty much any vampire movie worth its weight, it's going to have some scenes where, you know, the vampire sees sunlight or touches mm-hmm. light and eventually is killed that way. He's got to go into hiding. He's got to go to sleep. Yeah, I mean, pretty mu- it's it's pretty much uh, an overused trope in vampire lore. We see that really well in the Fright Night movie. I, and honestly, it's why I could kind of understand why people saw that as kind of refreshing in Twilight, that instead of being affected by light, they... Not, not so much that they sparkle, but that they don't die. Mm-hmm. I mean, the sparkling, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion on that anymore. That was any- weird. Anymore. Yeah. It's weird. I, I don't have an opinion on it anymore, huh. to tell the truth. Twilight is what it is. Burger King toys. Yeah, it it is what it is. It's a very strange story with a weirdly patriarchal vibe to it. I I don't know. But, yeah, this movie is definitely one of John Carpenter's less-known works, but it, it definitely deserves a little bit of a reappraisal. Hey, Collateral Cinema listeners. Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast, just taking a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. Much like Collateral Cinema, we are a grassroots podcast. We invite bands from all over the world to come in, and we dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you, and there's tons of music every week, so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you. 
Yeah, we didn't watch any reviews on it. I'm surprised. It's a good movie. Yeah, yeah maybe after we're done with this, we'll go ahead and do some reviews. That'd actually be a lot of fun. Hmm. Great movie. Yeah. I, I need to bring it over again. We'll watch it. Yeah, it's really fucking awesome. Well, my third movie recommendation is a goddamn masterpiece made by Clive Barker and also one of the most underrated horror movies of all time, I, I think. It just recently got a director's cut release, maybe like three or four years ago, mm. I want to say. And this movie is Nightbreed. 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 We just saw that the other day. Oh, man. This movie is a fucking fever dream of Lovecraftian tropes and a good dose of Clive Barker's absolute insanity. It's fucking insane. Yeah, yeah, and, like, and like Hellraiser. I, yeah, and I don't even have the director's cut version. I have, the, I just have the theatrical cut, and that's insane in its own right. It's like an extra scenes in the director's cut. Maybe a, a few more. A minutes. lot, a okay. lot of extra scenes. Yeah, maybe some extra gore here and there. Oh shit! But this is pretty much an extravaganza of a creature makeup. God, like Hellboy shit and. Hellraiser, damn. Yeah, it, it almost kind of feels like, I, I think it was described by one of the reviews that we saw on the movie, it was kind of described as this weird Hellraiser meets X-Men kind of movie. Yeah. Because it, it, it's about these monsters who, it, instead of being like antagonists or anything like that, or just brutal killers for, for the sake of being brutal killers, they're this society of uh, outcast uh, metahumans in a way. I mean, they're almost more like undead mutants than, you know, any type of real monster. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I thought it was like a fantasy thing at first, but... It's, it, it is a fantasy. Yeah. It's, it's very much like a fantasy horror movie. and Kind of like never-ending story a little bit from the beginning. Or even better yet, it's almost like a Guillermo del Toro's work. I mean, especially like you wouldn't see stuff like this until like maybe Pan's Labyrinth. You know, and that has some crazy creature effects to it, but it's nowhere near of a fucking hallucinatory experience as Nightbreed is. And But then it's got that killer running around with that button face with a zipper mouth. Yeah, who is none other than the legendary body horror director David Cronenberg. David Cronenberg. Director of The Fly, Videodrome, Scanners, The Brood, and all other kinds of movies. Dude, he's crazy. What's amazing is that Clive Barker pretty much stated that he let, you know, David be David. Like, he's, he's not acting. That's pretty much how David Cronenberg would approach being a serial killer. He played himself pretty good. He played good. himself, and it's perfect. I mean, he really is in real life that really kind of penetrating, off-putting type of person. And his, his part and all that was really great, just a serial it, killer running around. It's a stroke of genius, yeah. I think. And, I, I mean, I don't really think that he's even acted in that many movies, not, not even in his own movies. Really? I think that he's done some director cameos in his work. I don't really remember which ones, but... but he did pretty good, shit. Yeah, he did. And in this movie, he steals the show. Mm. I mean, th this movie is just worth it for his performance alone. But going into this town of monsters called Midian, Midian. that's... a feast of set design for one it's a it's a visual feast and i mean it perfectly 
establishes its tone pretty much from the get-go. I mean, e- even the title screen is all kinds of insane, right? Oh, yeah. The trailer, fucking insane. It is. And and the first five or six minutes of the movie is just this crazy dream of flashing images of monsters and they're just running free, and they go to Midian, and Boone, the main character who becomes Cabal, he wakes up, and he's just like, whoa, shit, and his girlfriend is there. Dude, his girlfriend is so adorable as oh, well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you really feel her desperation to find Boone and to reunite with him. Like, she knows that he is actually alive. She could feel it. That he was dead. Well, didn't the cops, like, fucking shoot his ass right yeah the cops shot his ass but that was because of cronenberg yeah they thought he pulled a gun out or something he said he just reached into his pocket it's like he's got a gun and then they just blow him away yeah that's fucked up yeah what do you think of the character peliquin the monster dude with the crazy hair he tried to he's almost like a sexual predator in a way it was weird when he bit into his shoulder dude and just yeah yeah, he's the one who uh, turned Boone into a Nightbreed. Yeah. Man, he's fucking wild. I don't know. Something out of Star Wars or something, dude. Yeah, but his, his quote when he he is first introduced is fucking brutal, man. It's like, everything is true. God is an astronaut. Oz is over the rainbow. And Midian is where the monsters live. That That's the quote right there. That is, that is such a badass quote that I even sampled it for a hip-hop song that i made like a good seven or eight years ago yeah it's it's unreleased i i have yet to really do anything with it when did you see this movie dude because i'm just now seeing this i found it at half price books it was a blind buy on dvd i sat down and watched it and i was like blown away from it an impulse buy yeah, it was an impulse buy. I, I saw that it was a Clive Barker movie, and Ooh, I was I was just right. like, you know, I have Hellraiser, so fuck it. <laughs> I, I went ahead and bought it. But anyway, let's go ahead and move on. What's your fourth movie recommendation? It would have to be Terminator 2. Oh, man, that's a great movie. That's probably one of the more mainstream movies that we've picked in our recommendations so far, right? Notice how I skipped over the first Terminator went to Terminator 2. Yeah, Terminator 2 is pretty much everybody's introduction to that character from the 90s. I mean, the first Terminator movie is pretty much a slasher movie, for all intents and purposes. Yes, it is. I mean, he's this almost Michael Myers-type character, With in a, a way. robot killing 30 yeah, he, Sarah Connors and a bunch of Yeah, he, he has just a singular drive to kill. and No motive. No motive, and, you know, Sarah Connor, she's a final girl all the way. Yeah, Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. Oh, man, she's so fucking awesome. But especially in Terminator 2. Terminator 2 with Eddie Furlong. What was that, 91, dude? Hell yeah, good movie. Yeah, this is the first time that we actually see Eddie Furlong in any meaningful role. And Robert Patrick, right? Oh, Robert Patrick is amazing as the antagonist in this movie. A young Robert Patrick. And the CGI in this movie was groundbreaking. With the T-1000, yeah, with the liquid shit, that was cool. <laughs> that, that was groundbreaking shit, and th- those effects still hold up to this day. I don't understand how, you know, there's some movies like that James Bond movie, Die Another Day. 
Yeah, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, it was with Halle Berry. Yeah, man, the CGI on that shit is terrible, fucking terrible. With the snow and the Aston Martins and the cars. Just oh, driving it, it's awful. But then you have this movie, and it still looks fresh to this day. You know, it, it's kind of like the effects on uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like, the newer Jurassic Park looks like dog shit compared to the original. No, yeah, you're right. Even the, even the Lost World. Lost World, I didn't really like. The only thing about that movie was Jeff Goldblum. But. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> shit, that's the only thing about the last fucking movie that was yeah. good. It was the brief Jeff Goldblum cameo. Goldblum. Same with Independence Day. Just Goldblum cameos. Just Goldblum cameos all the way. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but... What made you pick this movie for your fourth movie recommendation? Huh. The fact that I've always loved this movie, dude, especially growing up as a little kid. And you know what? Rise of the Machines. What did you think about Rise of the Machines and, like, Terminator Salvation? I don't know. I thought Rise of the Machines was serviceable. I mean, because that was the real judgment day. That's when that happened. Yeah, yeah. But, and and it was really cool at the end of the movie when you find out that they're not trying to prevent it. It's they they pretty much just got to let it happen, yeah. you know, because because you know it was going to happen no matter what. It was going to happen no matter what. So I mean, their fate was pretty much sealed. Yeah. And then salvation with Christian Bell, dude. That was the shit. It was different. It it was interesting to have a whole movie set in the later years of the human robot wars after Skynet took over. Yeah, I mean, that's when it introduced the T-800, actually. Yeah. And you see, like, a CGI Schwarzenegger at the end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Terminator XO over it. But, yeah, I mean, James Cameron coming off of Aliens and everything. Yeah. I mean Titanic. And and this was also a really big movie on Laserdisc, if I remember, along with Jurassic Park. Yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of people really bought this movie or Jurassic Park to kind of show off their laser disc rig. So. I didn't. I didn't like Terminator Genesis, dude. I thought. It, I don't yeah, know. I kind of less 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 said about that movie, the better. But the most recent one, what was that one? I haven't seen it yet, but I heard they brought Edward Furlong back and, and Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton, and it's yeah. James Cameron again. So. And and it still failed to make a profit. Did so. it? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I didn't get to see it, but. Anyway, my number four movie recommendation is a movie that I think a lot of people say is on the video nasties list. I think it might be mistakenly so. It's a British sci-fi horror movie. It mainly involves aliens and whatnot, and it's called Extro. And, I mean, Cinema Snob has done an episode on this movie, and it definitely fits the criteria of what he does on his show. I mean, it starts off with the father and son just having a nice day, and then the father is abducted by aliens all of a sudden, just out of nowhere. And then a couple of years later, he shows up as, as this fucking alien being who impregnates this one Roman with his, with his own uh, essence, I guess, and then she literally gives birth to this grown-ass man, and... It's it's the father that was abducted, and so he tries to get in contact with his family, and let's just say hijinks ensue. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure if I've seen this one. Robert, I am positive that I showed this movie to Did you. Did you? I don't remember. 
Like, yeah, it has the the father. He would uh, he bit on the son's neck in order to infect him with the with the alien virus or whatever, whatever mm. turned him into a, an alien. I probably only seen it the one time then if he showed it to me. But I, don't, I don't remember. It has this really surreal edge to it. Like some of the kills are actually perpetrated by these animated toys of his. Like one is this uh, dwarf that uh, looks like a little uh, nutcracker dude, a little soldier <laughs> toy or whatever. Nutcracker. And he ends up killing the uh, French au pair who gets buck naked in one scene completely. It's just kind of out, out of nowhere. But yeah, this this movie to me is a really, really fun and obscure sci-fi horror classic. It's it's one of those movies that kind of came out after Alien came out, and it was trying to ride that particular wave of movies. Ride those coattails. Riding the coattails a little bit, yeah, admittedly. But I really enjoy this movie, and I recommend it wholeheartedly if you can find it. Mm. I mean, I, I heard it is a little bit of a difficult movie to track down, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to give away much more of the plot on this one. Go and see it. It has some interesting alternate endings, and yeah, I mean, it's a movie I highly recommend. Nice. But we're going to go into our final movie recommendations, and then we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here in a little bit. What's your number five movie recommendation, Robert? The Dirt. The Dirt. The Dirt. That would be the Motley Crue biopic, right? Yes, for Netflix. From Netflix. Now, what made you want to recommend this movie? Is, is, and is it still on Netflix right now, or have they taken it off? It's on Netflix right now. So, so yeah, people can still watch this right yeah, now. Yeah, if you hadn't seen it already. I think it's a good story, kind of like the whole... Of Molly Crew growing up. I mean, it starts in the 1980s, that whole Sunset Strip thing in California, California, yeah. right? I do like how they actually go over every band member's individual stories in the beginning. Yeah. It is kind of interesting to, to see the original motivations for everybody. And honestly, the one character or the one person in the band I relate to the most is Mick Mars. Mick because Mars. Yeah, I'm totally that older dude in this situation in the podcast where I'm looking at y'all young bucks and I'm just like, what the are, fuck are y'all doing? What are y'all are, talking about? These are fucking idiots, man. You kids are fucking idiots. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I relate to him wholeheartedly. And other than the whole like Motley Crue angle, what made you want to recommend this movie and what does this movie mean to you? personally hmm. see i listened to a lot of my crew uh growing up too along with like white snake all that love rock and so yeah you were really into a lot of those hair metal bands you know, kind of I, I was listening to whatever my dad had because that was mostly his stuff you know yeah and as far as hair metal is concerned and glam metal motley crew was kind of a little more rough around the edges than other bands at that time yeah I mean, they, they weren't like Guns N' Roses, which pretty much, along with Nirvana, came and killed the whole hair metal scene. Grunge. Yeah, gr grun pretty much grunge and Appetite for Destruction pretty much killed hair metal. I like the characters in the in the dirt and the 
the things that they go through, the, the drug problems and the rehab, and then yeah, I mean, I mean, it's mostly focused on the drugs, the rehab, but the drinking, and I less of the music. You know what I mean? But, yeah, it doesn't really go into the actual production of the music that much, except for like a surface level. Yeah. Uh, type of uh, portrayal, but in, and that's more in service to the portrayal of drugs and debauchery more yeah. than anything. I like how they all meet together in a in a Nikki Six's apartment just for like an audition for Vince Neil, and they start playing Livewire, and then you start to get into it. You know, it's like okay, hell yeah. Yeah, I I like how Mick Mars actually comes into the band as well. Yeah. That's- cool as shit because it really happened that way yeah, he, yeah he's he's just looking at this at these motherfuckers and he's just like what the fuck are y'all i mean <laughs> yes what have y'all you guys are kids compared to me shit. Yeah, you guys are kids especially this drummer what the fuck this kid drummer barely out of high school <laughs> and, and also that hackneyed fucking guitarist yeah that other kid what the he barely play i mean yeah seriously it's like what the fuck i mean he, he needed more d- distortion yeah for what they were trying to more, do more yeah. distortion and better picking technique yeah i mean practice is palm mute i mean it's kind of hard when you're first starting out yeah i mean but obviously that dude was kind of out of his element yeah he was mostly focused on a different style too entirely different style i mean he was probably it's he was looking like he was trying to do a more bluesy hendrixy type of thing yeah coming That's, out of the 70s still fucking hippie right i mean <laughs> yeah yeah more like the fog hat type of bonehead rock shit yeah it's like wow, we're changing it up it's a new decade man yeah i mean i personally don't have anything against this movie i think that you have to take it with a grain of salt because of the fact that it is produced by the band yeah. it's pre- and, and they're pretty much portraying their own story and they're in a way that you know they do emit a lot of stuff mm-hmm like I mean, they kind of allude to uh, Tommy Lee's problems with women a little bit. Yeah. But you know, yeah, the dude straight up beat Pamela Anderson straight up. He wouldn't like, beat her. She <laughs> straight. He straight fucking beat her. Damn. And and you know he served his time for that and everything. But even so, I mean, obviously Tommy Lee has an interest in kind of glossing over it a little bit. I like Ozzy Osbourne's character, dude. Oh, that's actually the standout scene. (laughs) That one stood out, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually very pleasantly surprised by the actor who portrayed Ozzy. And and they were portraying that infamous moment where he straight up sniffed a line of ants. Yeah, looked like he just came out of Black Sabbath and just starting his Ozzy Osbourne band with Rhodes, right? I I think maybe at that time he was already two albums into his solo career, two or three albums. Like, at, I mean, at that time, he'd already been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Damn. I mean, I'm not really sure if this was pre. This was when Randy Rhodes was still lo- yeah. alive or not. 1981, 1982, right there when Molly Crew started. Uh, yeah, it was he, Rhodes. He, he was yeah. still alive at that, po- yeah. at that point. And he would later on crash in a, a plane accident. Yeah, that was very tragic. But very, very tragic. Randy Rhodes coming out of, like, Quiet, right? Or one of the Quiet bands? I think it was like Riot or something. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, that's a pretty solid recommendation, I think. I mean, and you, you're actually one of the few people that have it on DVD. Yeah, that was a find right there. Found it from Half Price Books. Yeah, how much was it? 
Um, I got it for like nine or ten bucks, man. Yeah. It's not too bad. I mean, especially considering some of the prices I saw on online on eBay and Amazon. Yeah, I think I saw it for like a hundred dollars, and it goes anywhere from there to like fifty. Yeah, yeah. But well, anyway, I'm gonna go ahead and give my final movie recommendation. And this is a movie that I could watch anytime, anywhere, any place, and have a blast. It's got so many memorable characters. It's got a great story. It's it's a crime comedy that is very tongue-in-cheek and very self-aware, but, I mean, it still leads to an interesting place, and that is Guy Ritchie's Snatch. Snatch. Yeah, th- this was the first time I ever saw Jason Statham in anything, actually. Oh, a young Statham. Damn. Which is interesting because this isn't a role that most people wouldn't think of him doing. I mean, he's not like this Billy Badass martial artist or, you know, he's not like in a transporter or anything like that. Doing like Jet Li movies. No, he, he, he's a boxing promoter, an, an underground mm. bare-knuckle boxing promoter. And he's very well connected to the underworld. And he tries to get this character p- played by Brad Pitt, who's a pikey, which is a type of gypsy in, in the UK. Freaking his part is badass. His part is badass in that <laughs> fucking uh, language and accent. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's like there, there's even a point where Statham and his, uh, his gal Friday, I guess you should say, uh, Tommy... He's he's trying to make a deal with the with the the Pikes, you know, to get Brad Pitt to fight. They were doing that uh, that game with the hounds and the hares. Mm. Yeah, they they were like betting on them. And Jason Statham, after hearing the terms from Brad Pitt, he's just like, "Did you understand a fucking word that they just said?" <laughs> <laughs> That's such a classic moment. And there's a lot of great classic moments in this movie, and a lot of awesome actors dennis farina is in this movie oh, really? and oh man he's cousin louie i think the guy that's who did name. unsolved mysteries no cousin avi that's his name is he's cousin avi and he's this uh, jewish uh, gangster slash banker who apparently he has a uh, stake in this diamond heist because the the, the macguffin of this uh, entire story is this di- ginormous diamond like hmm. this fully cut diamond that's just worth like millions. And Benicio del Toro is one of the uh, people that perpetrate the actual robbery. And he's this dude named Freddie Fourfingers. And he's called Fourfingers because he continuously loses at gambling and he has his fingers cut off. Jeez. And there's so many great characters in this. There's also, I mean, of course, Brad Pitt as the Pikey. And you also have the three pawn brokers, you know, the three black guys. Like, they're fucking hilarious. You have quite possibly the most badass gangster boss in all of film, Bricktop. Yeah. He is fucking cold, man. And he, he oozes charisma, and he steals the show every time he shows up. He absolutely fucking steals the show. Then you also have the Bullet Dodger. I'm talking about Bullet Tooth Tony. Mm-hmm. Seriously, there's so many great characters in this movie, it's kind of difficult to keep up with all of them. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that I'm even forgetting certain uh, characters. Like, the, the Russian dude is Boris the Blade. 
I mean, he's this hard ass Russian gangster and he he's a weapons dealer and he's a great character, man. I, I really love his character and I love everything about this movie. We need to go back and watch that again because Oh man, it's fantastic. I have it up here in my collection. I've always had fun watching that movie. So I highly fucking recommend it. I love that fight scene with Brad Pitt where he just like knocks him out in two seconds. Yeah, that's so perfect. And then that ending. Oh, shit, how he gets one over on Bricktop. Was it like the same camera work from, uh, what is that one movie, uh, Sherlock Holmes? Right? That fight scene yeah, yeah that, that's, a, that's the same director, Guy yeah, Ritchie. Dude. I was like, that, that's familiar. The fight scenes are familiar. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty much straight up from Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah, where he predicts how he's going to beat the shit out of him. Yeah. That's crazy. But anyway, it's time for us to go ahead and wrap this episode up. We decided to go a little longer than normal because we wanted to talk about these movies. You can find Collateral Cinema and Collateral Cinema Director's Cut on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Find us on Patreon. We have tiers that start at $1. Yeah, go ahead and become a patron. It's a dollar. It's just it's just a dollar. And if please. you want to give us more, we have a $5 tier. Please. Please, please give us some money. I'm hungry. I need to eat. I got five kids. Yeah, we're starving artists. Starving. And you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Chill Lover Radio, iHeartRadio, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And Robert, is there anything else that you want to add? Not at this moment. We're not working on anything, are we? I, I I'm not. I'm, yeah. I normally plug my filming or what I'm yeah. doing, but nothing's happening right now. Well, on, on Collateral Cinema, the next Collateral Cinema episode, we're going to be doing Star Trek for The Voyage Home. That's going to be a lot of fun. And Ash picked that one, so... Ash picked that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and then after that, the next couple of episodes is going to be a little anime extravaganza. Perfect Blue and Akira. It's going to be a lot of fun. Akira. And I guess I should go ahead and announce this. Our series finale will be Best Friends, and we will be joined by Captain Nostalgia from the Victims and Villains podcast. So we need to go ahead and order that, Volume 1 and 2. Definitely. Definitely, we do. They come together now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's cool. Blu-ray. Oh. Yep, yep. Anyway, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And this was Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. Please watch these movies. They are great. Watch them now. Yeah. Laters. Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.